The following program contains profanity, sexual content, and loud music. It's going to be one hell of a show. for being here, Governor. We appreciate it. I thank you, Eddie Satan. You're welcome. Dude, what the f*** is up with all this censorship stuff that they've been talking about? It's not like we say all the time. Come on. You know, if we say, see, and who gives a sh- Right? I mean, <laughs> what? I, <laughs> You've been bleeped out half of the time. I don't I, know. I don't know what's going on with all that. It's like... Uh, <laughs> see, and see, just all of a sudden the size and whoa, hold on, let me check the mic. I, I don't know what's going on. There, Wait, I, I mean, did, did Obama get us that hard? I, I fucking think so. I don't. What? No, oh, wait, what? we missed one. What? We're hey, gonna get no. fucking fine. No. Fucking shit. I, what do you do? I don't know if it's fucking Obama or yeah. oh, it is, but I don't think we're allowed to. Us anymore? Holy fuck, sucker, son of a mother, and they won't, you know. And then all of a sudden, it can't be said on the internet anymore. What the is up with that? Holy shit, dude! Wait, we missed one again. Fuck! <laughs> Welcome to Hellcast. Today we're going to be joined by King Folly of Deceased. King Alley of <laughs> Deceased. That dude is awesome. Dude, he had some t shirts for sale on uh, Facebook, and uh, I was like, Dude, I want one of those t-shirts, except it actually said on the t-shirt. And he said, dude, it's, it's pretty oh bad. It's a tour they're doing. We're and, just uh, fucking with you. Eddie's really good at the censorship. <laughs> or the broken cell phone. So if you yeah. call me and I go, hey, what's... I can't... 
You're huge. Oh, I'm drinking up really bad. It probably means I don't want to talk to you, asshole. Dude, dude, that fucking cracks. That cracks me up every goddamn Holy time. Holy shit. It's just, it's so, I can't do it. It's really hard. It's really hard to do. I, I don't know how you, you, you nail it. that's so, really hard. Oh. <laughs> oh, sexual content. Oh. Cockballs, pussy. Whoa, hey, I mean, we we're, we're, we're going to get haunted by the, oh. uh, the FCA or whatever the Fuck it. <laughs> no, probably not because I don't yes. think this is governed by that. You know, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy because King Fall is going to be joining this show, and, and and I'm really excited because I love King. Dude, King where does is, that guy's energy come from? I don't know where his energy comes from, and I I just uh, King's great man because he had his own metal records and he's done numerous releases with it. Stuff most of the time you're just like only King would like this. <laughs> but I remember I was like you know I had my now defunct reaper metal records label and i think i've done every fucking thing in the underground at this point i've done a goddamn podcast a label a band and uh blah, 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 blah. you know and, and you also sucked dick for a while didn't you I, no i never done i never done that i never tried that and, oh, that's and, I, and, I, and I don't think i've ever i have and i am this close <laughs> because my spine i'm gonna get a surgery to get something removed so i can reach no. <laughs> well, I, a, I, I, yeah, yeah, that's everything I've done other than that, okay? <laughs> but and the thing in the underground, if you ever put out a release, to save money, you trade. And you, right. you do it without cases. So it's not as heavy for the postage and all right, that. Right. Dude, my most beloved King Folly story is that I had done a trade with them. For whatever releases, I don't remember. And, you know, I send mine. So... A week later, his shows up. And you know it's a King Folly box because it's in a, a typical, like, long rectangular CD mailer. And it has the worst handwriting on it ever. <laughs> you, you, you're just like, how did that, like, how did the post? I can't even, I know who that's from and I can hardly read it. <laughs> uh, I think he's, if I remember correct, he's got a, a pre-printed thing for his return No, address, he does not. But I think he, yeah, he writes no, his, out your... No, he, no, he scribbles. Alright? Okay. It, it's as good as learning how to fucking write. It's, but the, the thing I is, it. when so you great. read it though, you see the energy in, you know, you see that chaos. That I could just by, see, you know. no, I could just see King, like, I gotta fuck him, send this package. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to fucking Ohio. I just gotta really send this fucking package. That's, that's King. He's, it's, it's fucking great. But the, no, this is the best part, though. Because, you know, when you're underground and stuff, you don't exactly have the money to buy packing peanuts or, like, bubble paper and stuff. So you use what you can. And typically, people use, you know, we use bat boxes and stuff. So when I got my package, though, I got my package scribbled handwriting from King. Didn't know how the hell it made in the mail, but I knew it was King's. And when I opened it up, you know, the CDs were in there, nice and pristine. And there were a bunch of bags. And out came one bag, though. One from Ruby Tuesday. A, a uh, It's a chain restaurant. You know, they do takeout and all that stuff. So in the bag, I could feel, I was like, man, this is a freaking kind of a bulky bag. It has a little bit of weight and a little bit of dexterity to it. And I open it up and out falls fucking silverware plastic silverware <laughs> and then out falls in his receipt <laughs> so I was like I was gonna write back I'm like hey king thanks for the fucking trade man and I hope that the chicken salad was mighty tasty I thought the- you were gonna say like a chunk of broccoli or something <laughs> <laughs> or like a french no, fry no it would've been even better but I just fucking loved it like king just took the fucking bag and it had the goddamn silverware and the receipt that night just said fuck it I'm using his backing <laughs> 
<laughs> it was great, dude. I would have been like, oh, thanks for the unholy cadavers. I'm going to eat the body of Christ with these. You know, <laughs> just fucking, I totally should have fucked them. But that's like my favorite King Folly story because I was in tears. I was like, dude, only just someone as funny as fucking King. Would yeah, when I was I a kid in, in the D.C. area, I, I remember I got a demo tape. He handed it to me. And it, I believe that was before that the tragedy that happened with his band members but what a cool guy what a, what an awesome dude yeah and one of the great things that he does is just call shit out and uh, one of the things that he did and then we'll probably come up on the show for a certain segment that we do but he has a t-shirt it's a just plainly and clear aerial font says testament sucks <laughs> <laughs> but then he has another one that says black metal sucks and segueing into that I don't know if it sucks for whatever but I, it's definitely not something that I'm like huge into but you know I, I like black metal to in a sense and I'm aware of it and I know about it but it's definitely been concluded dude that that is the most convoluted metal genre of all because on one hand you know everything's serious everyone's you got like we're gonna you know, burn down the churches and all that it kind of sort of in a sense turned to a joke and there's so many goddamn sub genres from bestial black to avant-garde to depressive black metal which I refer to as crybaby black metal <laughs> from the old school bath and venom black metal or to like you know just the norwegian paint yourself up like a fucking raccoon black metal the, and and that's probably the most you know popular the, the ironic thing though is like venom and even bathory like back then i i wonder i mean i know they were taking the music seriously but i wonder how like seriously they were taking the content Do you know i, I, mean? I you, no i don't wonder i know <laughs> and, and but regardless of that it did spawn to be something a little more serious and now i honestly i think it's kind of turned to more as a joke because it seems you know random idiots kind of get involved to which you know it's it's hard to distinguish what what it is and because it's kind of a lot of it's just pretty noisy you know and just chaotic so you yep. can't really tell who's the joke or not unless you have an educated ear and i saw it the other day a black metal veins trailer and i was intrigued because i had to check it out and upon my checkings i stumbled across this lovely trailer for a great new black metal movie and we're going to go ahead and take a look at it and you're going to go ahead and take a listen true cold black metal is not about playing live not about being part of some bullshit social scene you know it's just about you know safe so my guy point doing a line of coke so exactly <laughs> or my crystal? point exactly so we start out with a toothless redneck with fucking bald head snorting coke and he knows all about black metal but clearly I don't think he really does because like I said m- typically black metal people it's, it's, it's spawned into a genre that is taken very seriously and people painting their faces and stuff and burning down churches much like the Norway scene and stuff but then you have this jackass yeah you know you just gotta snort coke and well, just, I, what happens is people get caught up in it and they make it serious you know what they, they see like venom maybe and they go oh, these guys are being serious well hey no i'm not judging or, on that perspective okay. i'm saying that i think it is because black metal has definitely become out of anything of metal the thing that is taken seriously especially when it comes to, like bestial yeah and then you get a, a fucking schmuck like that some bald-headed redneck with, with fucking his half, hair. half yeah. of his fu- chin hair and half of his fucking teeth so like, yeah yeah no it's just not like that and then it's all about satan <laughs> It's, it's all about me? Cork, you know? Sweet. No, he's just a fucking bitch. Let's take a look more to this trailer, because this is going to be a very intriguing movie that's going to tell you how black metal really is. I am the person with the talent of 
Dominating the fucking Christian church, you know, crushing it, you know, putting our throne high above the skull of God, you know, it's it's just black fucking metal. They shooting up heroin? Yeah. So, well, hence the the title, black metal veins. Veins. And now, uh, and, and to quote a famous comedian, Bill Burr, the funny thing about the redneck voice is you can't take it seriously because what if like Albert Einstein's like E equals MC square? You just think he's a fucking dick. <laughs> yes, you know, you just right. think he's a fucking douche and just a doink. So how am I going to be like? So you know, you just take the Christian faith and fuck him. You know, and it's just like, dude, you are purely a fucking redneck. You have. Probably about three teeth. You have uh, the chin fuzz and bald head, and you just look like a wreck. Honestly, you just look like a douchebag. He does. And totally you know, douchebag. When, and when you start, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm like, whatever the fuck, whoever believes whatever. And when you start taking it serious like that, then it's like, yeah. Why? Well, I'm not attacking serious and all that. I'm just saying that it's been established that it's very serious. So now it's been convoluted with jackasses like this fucking redneck with three teeth. I, I'm very now, fucking black metal. I do I, not like Jesus. Yeah, he's ruining. Yeah, it, it's he's sort of like the persona. It, it's the image, the Walmart, so to speak. Of yeah. So now, so then this movie comes out, black metal veins, and you have some fucking chick that you're going to soon find out has the worst acne ever. And I don't know if it's from the drugs. I don't personally use drugs, so I don't know. But if that's what happens from drugs, I'm I staying even further away from them. Dude, when am I watch like druggy shit? I, it's like a, like a chain smoker. I just kind of like get like. Turn, it's, like, a, it's a I very thirsty. Turn off. I just it, it turned off and I just get thirsty. I'm just like, man, you smoke a lot of fucking cigarettes. Like, I'm just getting thirsty looking at you. And, and this, so this they, guy, I'm like, I'm looking. I'm like, dude, you mean you got like some proactive you could put on that fucking? And, and they're putting <laughs> in the movie, you know. Then you wonder, is, is it really about the music or is it just about you know? Look at me. This is what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and then then they'll they'll throw that as perspective. Well, America has all these Christians, and it's just like, yeah, America's probably the most prone to hating fucking Christians and could be the most the black metal capital of the world over Norway. But we got jackasses like you making these stupid fucking movies. Wow. That's great. Shooting it into his neck. That was pretty sweet. And that's what I'm talking about, dude. Like, what the fuck is going on with that music? You can't tell. I'm not to insult black men, but it's an easy avenue for anyone that thinks they've got something to say is going to go to because he could just go. But you never know the fucking quality of it because there's just some random jackass that can go something screaming and all that bullshit. But the, and then you can tell by their image though. The, the unfortunate thing is it takes away from the the good black metal. It does. It, it, it takes it, away from the the atmosphere some, that was originally established. Yeah, some some douche is going to see this and be like, "Oh, this is black metal. Cool. Let's check it out." Uh, uh, oh, yeah. And this I, is what I, black right. metal's about. Fuck you get this. some kids and then and, and the fuck really what what the the opinion of it. But for someone yeah. that knows what it really stands for and how it was established and people that killed themselves for it and got killed for it, the whole Norway shit. I mean, and granted, that's, I think that's, that's above and beyond. It's kind of silly yeah. of its own. It's pretty over the top, but it is what happened and it, and it is kind of how people interpret it and stuff. And I think it's kind of an insult and, and even seeing people's comments like, I, the, like what, what's with the fucking Americans and, you know, fucking everything up and making it look like a joke. And it's like, oh, I know. That's I, what I sucks agree because that's some fucking redneck. And that's not even just a black metal, but other things. It, oh, totally. It, you know, 
we're like, oh, fucking horror. Totally. And then, and then you, you will g- say, you know, which I, not to say I'm, we're pretty lucky here, but you know, we also fuck things up like that. And it gives everything a bad name here, just like they're giving black yeah. metal a bad name. It's right. like, oh shit. And then furthermore, you know, you have another American artist and just stuff like this. And granted, this is creative, but again, it just kind of goes along with how much of a joke black metal has become and how convoluted it is because you don't know who's a joke and who's not because let's face it the popularity thing that has become an iconic black metal thing to do and yes there's a many subgenres of the subgenre itself black metal but to paint your face one of the people that's taken it on and a lot of chicks seem to take it on like like power metal the second or maybe the runner-up or just the equivalent to power metal the most highly a female attracted metal in my opinion is black metal because they can do that and and power metal because it's very girly or it's very expressive but anyway so you have someone that's done a pretty unique and hilarious idea if you ask me the vegan black metal chef here's an interview with him it's time for the mask of demons time for the armor of hell yes it's time Time to make some food. So here's the the main altar where we sacrifice all the various vegetables. This makeup-wearing, armor-clad food lover is 30-year-old Brian Manowitz. Though on the internet where he's earned well over a million hits, he goes by another name. He is the vegan black metal chef, which begs the question, out of makeup... So what is the, the vegan black metal chef? Well, the vegan black metal chef is my attempt to answer the question, what do vegans eat in uh, as fun of a way as, as I can find possible? Okay, so let me let me just put this into perspective. How I mean, it's kind of that's almost insulting in a way. Insulting and or it's, it's ridiculous. I, I wanted to show how vegans eat in a fun sort of way. Dude, what the fuck about black metal's fun? I mean, that you know, and, I don't that and and just vegan black metal chef. You're telling me if you were to analyze anything about black metal, so you can burn down churches, fuck those trees that made that church, but. Let's appreciate nature in other ways, and let's not eat animals. Or animal byproducts. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's be vegans. That makes sense. I get it. I dude, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I think black metal, if, if, if I were to think food, I would think some people like in the woods chasing down like deer and just ah, eating them yeah. raw or something. I, and that, yeah, because Norwegian people. I don't think pe- that, yeah. but if, if somebody were so, to show yeah, me you, you a chef, think that's some, what you would think. Some Norwegian guy where that's highly where it dominates, and that's clear what this guy's impersonating and attracted I to. I wanted to do it in a way you, that was You fun. think that they're just going like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. You know, we're just going to go... And we're going to make some vegetables, even though most of the time of the year, it's freaking winter. (laughs) No, they're going to eat some goddamn, well, they definitely eat a lot of fish. And that's what I was about to say. Like, you would think they would at least go sushi or something because right. it's raw meat raw fish meat still right but anyway it's kind of cracks <laughs> and it cracks me up but say that even was legit i have to admit it's kind of a good idea and it's funny it's quirky i like it but at the same time associating food with metal especially a, a genre takes itself so seriously it's kind of fucking stupid it's one thing like when ghouls having a barbecue with guar 
Right. But, and then especially when you see this guy unmasked and commenting on ABC News, probably the biggest news network in America. But listen to what he has to say. Vegans don't eat meat or anything that comes from animals. Or Hold on. They don't? Really? I thought they liked pepperoni pizza. I thought so, too. With extra cheese. even wear anything. All his armor and tight body sleeve is vinyl instead of leather. What's being a vegan about for you? The quick answer that I tell people is uh, is that I don't believe in the exploitation of animals. That's the vegan part. The black metal? I see. Now, I'm not a Satanist, and I maybe I've watched too many horror whoa, movies. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> not I, a I Satanist? No, I'm not. <laughs> so I, and I might... I quit. I might be seemingly <laughs> not the guy to talk about this topic, but I know at least somewhat enough. And maybe I've seen too many horror movies, but I speculate that a Satanist isn't exactly totally concerned <laughs> about not the killing animals, of animals. Or, yeah, and how they're mistreated. Do they not I'm like sacrifice animals? I, I you would think that's I what I'm know. saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like maybe I see too many horror movies, but I pretty sure that there's a whole sacrifice maybe it's okay to sacrifice humans but not animals well, now I kind of sort of agree with that but I don't think that the black metal I, I agree with it too and way. I think that third semester trimester uh, abortions should be allowed so it's an 8 year old but it's just becoming a lot like a joke like I mentioned it's very convoluted like just look at for instance on black metal how is that not convoluted and how is that not jokingly because you know here you're establishing a genre that's precisely against a fucking religion but yet you have something that's hey fuck that but we're gonna copy that music style and and give a different message and, and how I many don't get it murderers and serial killers started out as kids you know satan now i'm gonna kill people because satan told me to do it how many, did, did they not kill puppies and kittens and squirrels when they were a kid and birds well i'm sure there's yeah there's some right. that going on and there's like a controversy with like watane doing stuff and that's a little more new age and i think the point has been driven but then the other thing like i said it, it's a gimmick at this point very popular gimmick because like i said you know there's many sub genres to the subgenre, the subgenre being black metal. Unfortunately, metal. you're right. It's a gimmick. It has become a but gimmick. But then a lot a of it's become a gimmick, a gimmick that which is painting your face and trying to look evil. And okay, and if that's going to be the overall look of that, then you would think you're going to have underground acts do it. And that's where it's like this gimmick isn't working out so well because I see numerous and i mean many bands that are underground black metal and it's like dude you need to get a face painting professional because what you did to your face looks fucking funny <laughs> well i can't take you seriously i i just want to i don't know whether to laugh or fucking listen to your music and go this is pretty fucking good the, the unfortunate thing is, is i bet like these guys we saw i could be wrong i'm, I'm making an assumption but you wonder did they first see it like with man that marilyn manson because you know he didn't he paint his face for a while and then they see that and they're like, "Well, he's black metal." And then they then they actually hear some and they make these, uh, you know. Well, I think up. like much stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like there probably was a bunch of douchebags that didn't know what the fuck black metal was and thought Marilyn Manson was black metal or something. But even if yeah, okay, if you're gonna go along that lines, Marilyn, like when you looked at them, and many people might show off their fucking podcast at this point. If I'm gonna admit this, you don't look at the guy and start laughing. 
I mean, you might at some. But some of the stuff you did, but you didn't. But like his fucking face get up, it didn't look as ridiculous. Dude, there's fucking people that do their black metal paint, and it looks like a goddamn raccoon. It's hilarious. I don't know whether to laugh or take it seriously. Honestly, well, I know not. I'm gonna. I can't take it seriously because it's that fucking ridiculous. Like I said, it's a very convoluted thing, and you know you're gonna have every jackass that thinks that they got some talent because they can express it through black metal. And at the end of the day, you know it was a lot more than that. And I think you're just kind of doing an unjust to people that really took it seriously killed themselves and killed others towards it and rather i'm not condoning it but i just think it's kind of ridiculous
Joining me on the phone, I have King Folly Deceased. Hey, King, welcome cheers. to the show. Maddie, cheers to everybody. Cheers to you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed you played drums on every record up until the last album, As the Weird Travel On, because you had health issues. And uh, much to my surprise, on the new album, you're playing drums again. So does this mean you have improved your health? Health was good. Actually, I could have I could have played drums on the last one, As the Weird Travel On, but I kind of got away from playing drums ever since we did October 31 back in 1995, the other band I do. Um, and I started playing and singing live and not playing drums anymore, just going out and playing live. I just started getting more into me and the front man and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we picked up Dave Scarface to play drums for us. And he did such a fantastic job that about 2000, I think it was around 2000, we decided, we said, you know, I'm just going to go out front for Deceased too. You know, it, it, it was always so like holding me back playing drums and singing. I had so much energy and I just felt like I was stuck to a damn drum stool, <laughs> you know, the whole time. So we, we went and played Vakken. It was where both bands, October 31, played at Vakken Festival in Germany in 2000. 2000. This is the first time ever I sang fronting the band ever the first time. Then when Deceased went and played Vakken the next year, 2001, and that was the very first time I ever fronted Deceased without playing drums. So it was weird. It was like, that was like the guinea pig for both bands, but I loved it so much and just doing so much since then. It's just the way it felt right. So when I had the, I had my stroke back in 2004, it really, well, first 2002, I had a lung problem and that, that kind of screwed me up actually worse than the stroke. When I had the stroke in 2004, my left side was uh, damaged, nerve damage, but I was still pretty much hanging on. I had to do physical therapy and things like that. So when we started writing the new record, I was actually playing drums and writing all the stuff in rehearsals, but Dave was part of the band. I said, you know what? just play the drums but you know just come record the drums and do all that stuff and it'll be that much easier but then I realized that it took the time for me to write it then him to learn it while I was writing it so it was kind of confusing to him so by the time we got to the new record I was like hell with it let me just record it and then our drummer now Eric I was like you can just listen to the record when it's done and pick it up it's that much easier for you so that's pretty much why we did it I miss playing the drums a little bit in the studio don't miss it at all live but uh, health wise I'm fine uh, it's it just turned out it's, it's something in my heart that I was born with it's some kind of birth defect uh, that just kind of throws blood clots around but if I stay on blood thinners which I'm doing for the rest of my life then I should be fine oh, that's great to hear yes so it's been a while since Deceased has done a new record so a big enough gap for things to get switched up a bit and through those years deceased has seen a big you know big changes with the lineup uh you know at the departure of mike mark and dave having known this there was no surprise to see deceased live with an entirely different lineup however with the new record Mike and Les are on it. So what exactly is the situation with Deceased's lineup? Basically, when Mike joined the band back in 1990, he always said, I like to be a studio guy. I'm not big on playing gigs, but I'll do it for you guys. So for the next 15, 16 years, up to 2006, he played live. And it wasn't like pulling teeth, but he didn't really like doing it. Sometimes it, it, it interfered with other things in his life and stuff. He's just not a traveler as far as that kind of stuff. He liked to do the studio. On the other hand, at the time, Mark used to like to play live, but didn't used to like to record. So it was kind of like I was like 50. Everybody gave their all, but it was like, you know, he didn't. Mike didn't want to be on stage and Mark didn't want to be in the studio so kind of what it was is what it was so Mike decided he was going to retire from playing live in 2006 so we brought in a guitar player Shane uh, Fugel who's been a friend and supporter of the band for years he's, I mean, he's come to shows since he was probably 14, 15 years old and he's in his 30s now so uh, it was an easy thing he was a longtime friend longtime, just you know just close guy to us and it, it was no problem so Mike got to keep playing in the record for studio and writing material because Mike pretty much writes most of the riffs mm-hmm. and uh in return, Mark got to play live. Well, after a while, Mark just lost interest, and that that's a whole 
that's a whole hour and a half conversation itself. Mark just didn't <laughs> want to play with, with the band anymore. He gave up all music, moved away, doesn't live in the country anymore, and he, did, he just didn't want to do it. And he kind of came out of left field. So now we had Shane leading the live charge. And so I was like, well, we need to get another guitar player because I need to play live. I like doing both, and I got to play live. And I started freaking out going, we got to play. Well, at the same time, Les decides to move to Texas, our bass player. So he's in Texas, and now it's me in Philadelphia. You got Shane in D.C. You got Mike, who's not playing live, living in Virginia. And Les is in Texas. You know, it's it's crazy. And David stopped playing for us, so we really didn't even have a drummer then. And so I was just like, I don't know what we're going to do, but we, we, you know, I didn't want to throw some crap together and call it the cease because I'm totally into 100% dedication, and, you know, it's got to be right or nothing at all. So we, I talked with a buddy of mine named Matt, who's been a long-time supporter of the band, a little younger, but always supported us. I thought he was a great player. He came in and started playing live for us. So we had that going. And then Shane, just, Shane said, let's bring Eric in. He was a drummer in his other band, Biovore, and his other band, Bionic Man, he had. So I said, oh, absolutely. Eric's another longtime friend. Good guy, great player. So we got right back to doing things, and everything was totally running good. And then Matt decided he couldn't do it anymore because he's got a couple uh, uh, he's got a couple degrees in teaching and stuff, and he wants to get into teaching. So he didn't think he had the time to do it. He was living in Boston, too. So you're, you're, it's getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, yeah. So Les is now in Texas, and we're, we have a guy named Chris helping us out on base because Les can't just jump back and forth from Texas to come play Ohio over the weekend or play New York. So this guy Chris, a good friend of ours too, has been helping out on base. Well, to go to this year, we want to start playing out again. Last year we did like about 60, 70 shows on our 25th anniversary with Matt. Matt stopped playing last year. Well, I talked to my buddy James, who plays in Vermafugue, and uh, you know he's another longtime friend, supporter, knows the music, always at the shows, banging up front. I said, you want to come play some shows? And I knew he could play guitar because I'd seen Vermafugue, actually I signed to my old metal records label. So we got him in there, and that's what you saw last weekend was uh, that lineup and stuff. And, um, you know, Mike's very happy being home. Mark's happy not being a part of it anymore. You know, he's got his own new world, and it's now me, Shane, Eric, James Danzo playing guitar, and uh, my buddy Chris helping out on bass while Les is in Texas. Now, when we go West Coast, Les will be playing bass for us. But it all works out well. I mean, we don't get a lot of practice, but everybody comes in with their homework done. And, you know, you saw the show. It's tight. It's very tight. It's very precise, even under, even under uh, crappy PA situations, as you know. <laughs> but it was great to get back in the studio with a new one, which is actually me, Mike, Shane, and Les playing on it. This is Shane's first album playing guitar for us. And with me on drums, it, it, it felt right. It was great. It was years in the writing and making. And most of that album is so outdated now. I think the newest song is 2009, you know. So, uh, we, you know, we got two years of stuff to make up for and we want to get on the new record and, and get right to it because we feel like we lost a little bit of time there getting everything adjusted everybody getting married moving leaving the band leaving live etc cetera, etc cetera. right so how do you manage to write and rehearse with everyone being from various distant locations how we did surreal overdose was we we, we made a uh, base at virginia and so i would drive from philadelphia down which is about a two hour two and a half hour three hour drive down to virginia uh we go practice at a place that had uh, gear already set up we used to go from about five till nine at night i'd leave about 11 go down see my my family that still lives in virginia then go to practice and then turn around and come right back home afterwards and we do that about twice a month we did that for about three or four years writing surreal overdose from about 2007 about 2006 to probably 2010 maybe two, late 2009 we did that and we just put it all together i'd come on with tapes and i'd you know rearrange stuff and that's my job 
uh, pretty much is arranging everything. We just get down and get the basics down. I get it on tape and come back and we just do it. And we talk on the phone and we'd be ready for the next one with notes and stuff like that and get right to where we left off. So it sounds, you know, hearing all that, it sounds pretty self-explanatory why it took so long for the, you know, such yeah, a big it was just gap. Getting things in, it was just getting things into place. And, we, you know, we're not a band to just rush, rush, rush and get something out to say we have a new record. It's got, we started the band to write music and create music that we liked and enjoyed. And, you know, and this is a time in our life where we're all in our 40s now and stuff like that. Well, I've got kids. Uh, Mike's got kids. You know, Shane's got bills. And, uh, you know, he just bought a house. And, and Les has got married and living in Texas. There's just so much going on that you got to do it. You got to place it right. You got to make time for everything. If, you, if not, it's a mind fucking, and that's just it's crazy. So, how does the uh, lyric writing process work for Deceased? Because most of the songs are horror based, you know, off movies or stories. So, do you see something or read something and it spikes your interest? Or do you- exactly, exactly, no, exactly, spiking interest. It's just, it's just something that if something feels right, I'm like, you know, there's plenty of horror things that I like that just don't work for what we do. But if something comes to me that really, you know, feels fitting, I do it. And that's what I've always done. I mean, early on, I was writing just tragedies and terrible things in my mind and all that stuff and making words rhyme and then kind of as we got it going along from like say Luck of the Corpse which was very simplistic lyrics to something a little bit more intelligent I think from Blueprints from Madison into the concept of fearless and into the horror tales uh, complete with supernatural addiction just mm-hmm. learning to write better and things like that I've always come up with titles I tell Mike this is what I'm working on this is the idea I'm going for and then we'll read together and I'll put the lyrics to it and things like that but as far as influences and subject, subject matter it all just depends on what I see and when I see it I, you know like for example Supernatural Addiction was pretty much done and written and we were we had, we had the last song on there we were starting to write which was originally uh, something different than uh, LA's Dementia which was we were so taken back by the Blair Witch uh, Project when it came out that I had to do something about that movie then and there even though it was fresh and it was like trendy and you know popular at the moment it was something that really struck me as an old timey like boogeyman movie and I had to do it then and there so it's just how it comes and how you know how it falls into place like for the next record we're already beginning things the next record is going to be called Ghostly White and we're returning to the horror ghost tales because that's one of the things I love the most about the season. My favorite record is Supernatural Addiction, so I'm, I'm in the mood to go there. And then, you know, Mike enjoys that too. So, you know, that's we get a mindset for our next record, and that's where we'll go with it. And is it going to be musically kind of the same as Supernatural Addiction? I think so. I definitely think that this uh, Surreal Overdose is more crazy over the top. I think the next one's going to yeah. be a lot with more melody, and, you know, it'll, ha- it'll be a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say laid back because that's not the right word, but it'll, it'll definitely be deceased 110%, but I think it's going to go for different twists and turns with a lot more uh, old school heavy metal influence on it as well as the speed metal which was definitely a part of what we do and everything in between absolutely and you know speaking of which i've noticed it's you know starting with mostly fearless and dead machines that there was kind of a more diverse with speed and and influences to the music and obviously definitely on uh, supernatural addiction is that something right. that's intentional or is that just come naturally yeah, I think it came natural, and I'll tell you why. If you go back even to our first demo, The Evil Side of Religion, which was 1986, there's a song on there called March of the Cadavers, which I wrote, and it, it, it sounds more like Man of War than it does Sodom or the bands of the time that we were really influenced by, you know. And we always had that heavy metal influence, and there's a song on there called Sick Thrash, because we had the thrash influence. We always put it on our sleeve. If you listen to the intros to some of the songs on there, like Mentally Ill, for example, there's you know there's stuff going on. But we're young, we're impressionable, we're, we're, we're most of us are fucking high and drunk, you know. 
we're so fucking young. It's just crazy. As we go on, we learn to play better. When you learn to play better, you you know you write more. Now we don't want to go too far out of what we do as deceased because then we lose. We you know we feel like we lose what we're about and things like that. And there is a point where I think a lot of bands lose what they're about and just branch out to the point where it just kind of lo- it's too far, too far left, too far right. And uh, as we got older, I think like for example, the perfect one is when you said fearless blueprints was so crazy, so intricate, so like much going on that when we came time to write the new one, Mike had said, you know, I like to write a lot of old school riffs and stuff. Would that be a problem with you guys? Because before I'm just writing for more of a death metal format. Yeah. And I said, you write what comes out of Mike Smith's guitar and we'll, we'll make it work. And the first thing he came together with was Silent Creature. And I said, this is great. This is working. And me and him just from there on, which was 97, we just started me and Mike taking the horns and writing pretty much everything together, me and him. Oh, so, it. yeah. So when you get to Supernatural Addiction, you start to have layered three guitar harmonies, things like that, or like as Weird Travel On, which has a lot of that. But, you know, I also like to put the Savage speed in it parts, though I also like a good chorus. You know, I like everything from early Sodom to the Carpenters. So it's a, it's a, it's a wide base in my head of what's going on. Right. But never very, like, you don't put it, the record in and go, oh, God, what were they thinking? And if anything comes out like that, or if we put stuff on tape and we're like, go back and I'll hear, like, you know, that just don't work. It'll never get past the, you know, the, the one or two practices we we adjust. And we try things just to be, you know, try to think we're clever, intricate, odd, off the wall, whatever. But then some work and some don't. There's there's things we tried that just never worked, and there's things that we, I wish we tried that that went to tape less than what they could have been. But that's part of being a band, right? So somewhere along the grapevine, I've heard about a project that you supposedly did with uh, George Corpse Grinder Fisher called Ghoul. What what is the deal of that? Is that misinformation? Like that's misinformation. I never <laughs> did. I never did a project like that. I actually saw that somewhere online too, and I was like, I never did that. I've known George for years. We never did anything. We made a fucking you know laughed somewhere together. That's about as far as it went. We never did a music project at all called Ghoul. Not at all. Any any idea how that like that would even come about? You know, it's hard to say. Knowing so much about the underground people, it could have just come out in somebody's message board, you know, and it could have got something wrong. I mean, I've done a lot of, you know, goofy things and fun stuff with, with friends. Like, for example, with Don, and then we did the old days. We had this band called Gut Wrench, where I came to Terry Weston from Dream Death House, and we just you know, got together and I wrote some riffs, and here's me playing a drum machine, and here's Don screaming or Greg Beal screaming into a microphone, and then it's Gut Wrench. People asking about that or my one-man band, Weirdo, which I did for fun, beating on Bibles in 1988 because I got a guitar at a pawn shop, $25 and <laughs> recorded a couple of songs with some goofy titles to it and made a little fun video just just to be goofy, just to have fun with it. But that ghoul thing, I've, I've never knew, I have no idea where it started or how it started, but you know, it, it's easy nowadays or at any time for people just to get things confused and to be you know, almost fact. Especially, yeah, especially if you put it on Metal Archives, then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, then, then it's fact. I mean, that's, and, that's, yeah. yeah, that's totally, <laughs> absolutely wrong. Hmm. So do you feel that Deceased was once on Relapse, do you feel that not being on a record label and being tied down to a contract it makes it a lot easier to do what you want with the band or is it really make no difference either way you know the, the thing with relapse is when you when you sign a contract and you're and you're involved with somebody more outside of than the four guys of which were DCs at the time, me, me, Mike, Mark, and Les, then now you're working with other people's money, other people's time, other people's you know intentions. So no longer is it it's just solely your your vision. It's more people's visions. And for a while that was fine, and we learned that you know this part this is the business side of it. Just go with the flow. But when a lot of lies, bullshit, and just just literally just crap came with it year after year. At first it was like you know now and then that it became like more than 50% of the time then it became almost all the time 
I said one day, there's no fucking way I go on with relapse anymore. It's just impossible. These guys are liars, bullshitters, you know, just too many false promises. And I said, we have to get away from her because the, the, the breaking point was when we did Supernatural Addiction, they brought in Simon F. I mean, they paid him a good amount of money. He came over. He's a great producer. I thought the record sounded great. I was very happy. We got a nice buzz going and we were ready to roll on. They even put us on a semi-tour with the Contamination Tour of 2000 with some other bands like Exhumed and Cephalic Carnage Origin, etc. And uh, things were rolling good. And Matt's like, oh yeah, things are looking good. You guys are doing good. I love what you're doing. The sound's getting better on records. You're a great live band, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, what do we do now? You know, let's keep the ball rolling. And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, you do a new record. And he said, yeah, let's get a new record out. But then he seemed like he wanted to rush it. And I said, well, you know, the first thing is we don't rush anything. If, you know, to write a new record's going to take a couple of years because that's just how we are. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Well, what about an EP? And I said, okay, we could do an EP with a couple of new songs. It'll take us about a year to write two or three new songs. And then we could maybe, you know, go with that. And he's like, well, that's not enough stuff. And then he wanted to, he said, well, why don't you put some covers as well? I said, all right, that's a good idea. It'll keep the name out there. We'll keep the ball rolling. You're looking at from 2000 to 2002 now. You're looking at a two-year period. So we get that done. We, we write a couple of new songs and all this. And when we're writing the new songs, I'm rushing the band. I'm like, come on, you know, we're supposed to record this in March. I remember this. It was Christmas. And we didn't have much stuff done yet. We started on one song. And I said, we got a couple months to write a couple songs. And now I'm saying it's no longer fun. It's becoming, it's becoming like somebody's pushing me in the back of the head, all of us, to get shit done. And now we're starting to rush songs together. We're throwing things together to call them songs to get an EP out of the deadline. And it's no longer like what we started the band about. So we'd argue amongst each other. And at the end of the day, we'd have to say, you know, look, this thing is us arguing. This is us arguing about something that somebody else created. So... When that EP came out, which they gave us no budget for at all, after we did a great showing with Supernatural Addiction, and then they're promising us a tour and all this new merchandise, and nothing happens, and the EP sits and sits, and then they're complaining that it's not moving at all, yet I'm hearing different things from the record label than the actual owner of the record label, and... uh I was like, well, you know, I got to talk to this guy direct, and I'm on the phone, and I'm like, you know, I'm talking to a blatant fucking liar, and this is Matt Jacobs that I'm talking about. So I I told the guys, you know, what do we want to do next? And they were like, you know, this is fucking old. This is tired. Let's just fucking leave. And I'm like, I'm totally with you. Let's just fucking get out of it. And we just left. And Matt was like, you know, we tried our best. We didn't know how to promote you. We didn't know what you were. Are you a heavy metal band? Are you a grind band? Are you a thrash band? Are you a death metal band? What are you? And I was like, we're just deceased. Just promote us as a band, not this, this genre or that genre. This is what we do. And he wished us well at first and things were fine. But then after it was said and done, you know, he still was running his mouth and making up more bullshit. I mean, when things got past that point, they wanted to, he, his words to me were, if we ever, you ever need help with touring or, you know, if relapse can use, we can use relapse's name for something, you know, don't, don't take any time to call me and ask me, you know, get right to it. So I, I, I never really asked him for anything, but then we would do CDs for other labels. Like the perfect example is when we did the luck of the corpse, 13 frightened souls, two on one, they gave permission to do it. We put it out. Well, two years after it had been out and send their mail catalog for like 24 months, I get a letter and an email from their lawyer saying that who's this guy and this is a bootleg and this is unofficial and relapse was unnotified about this and they want to sue this fucking guy over this supposed bootleg. And I'm like, I have to tell the guy, this is how fucking stupid relapse is. That fucking thing was okayed by Matt two years ago and it's been in your fucking catalog for fucking two years. And the guy's like, oh, I never saw this. This is new to me and all that. And I'm just like, I, I literally said, you're a fucking idiot. You know, that's how stupid people are. Aren't you supposed to be professionals that are getting paid money to do their job? And that's just what it all came down to. I, I get things done. I'm not lazy. I can't stand people that just don't, you know, research, take the time to do things right. And that's was the, that was it. I was like, you know what? Fuck them on, on all levels. Before we were, we were still on the label and after, I was like, I just don't want nothing to do with these guys. I just cannot handle it. It's just too much stupidity. I feel like we were dealing with the Keystone Cops, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so, so in, in, to answer your question full circle, yeah, it's much better to do our own thing. When we first left, we went with a buddy named Ray Lopez in Thrash Corner Records out of Puerto Rico. He wanted to put some money up. He loved the band. He did. The, he, he put the record out, but he's, it's just a guy out of his house. You know, all labels, it's just a guy out of his house, and he did all he could for us. But I figured after that, why don't I just do it? I know everybody there is to know, and, you know, I, I've got a lot of circles to move in. Let's just start our own deceased thing and just do it our way. And then we started it with the Feral Sundown Machines reissue with Streaks from the Hearst Records. And with the new one, we went and did this as well. And a, a friend of mine, Dan Paddock, wanted to get in on it. And, you know, he's a good guy. And I don't mind, you know, sharing it with somebody like that as far as they know that we're running the show and they have to take, you know, the right-hand man. If anything, we have to be in charge of it because that's the whole reason we left Relapse. And Dan's been nothing but fantastic, as well as Hell's Headbangers with everything, with the vinyl all through the years. It's not a problem. We, you know, we, we do like a friendly, either a verbal agreement or a handshake, and that's it. Like, they press the vinyl, they give us our copies, they do their thing, and that's it. There's yeah, no absolutely. Headache. Not like, oh, I need this, you got to change this, this artwork's funny. Supernatural Addiction, perfect example. Blair Witch, uh, stick figure on the cover. Can't use this, Artisan's going to sue us. Got to take that sample off, Artisan's going to sue us. This and that. Started changing my thanks list when I put off, fuck off, the Morbid Angel or something. They wouldn't put it on there. Oh, we, we deal with Morbid Angel. We deal with their management. You can't put that on your CD. It's no longer my CD, it's their CD. Yeah, absolutely. Now they're changing my shit. I put sticker on Fearless on the Machine. No Pantera fucking, you know, no fucking Pantera riffs, no Chugga Lugga, just death metal from the grave. And they fucking took the sticker and, you know, took it off the fucking thing. We can't print that on a sticker. Well, some some underground, you know, do it your way, fucking record label that turned out to be. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, so it sounds like we got some exciting stuff to look forward to from Deceased in October 31. How about uh, Doomstone? Doomstone sits in limbo, and it's probably best we do. Um, that was done for fun and to mock that black metal of the early 90s when everybody was taking things so seriously. And I was just like, you know, this is just getting ridiculous. <laughs> Somehow we wrote some good songs, and people dug it enough to actually put up money to record two records with the band. And uh, it was fun while it lasted. And I still talk to the guys, and you know, some of the guys are, are Deceased guys and October 31 guys. You know, it's not a real big secret we just keep it a secret to play like that pile driver exorcist kind of role uh, who are these guys who are those masked men but it, it sits in limbo i wouldn't mind doing something one day for fun but who the hell knows <laughs> so we're gonna hear something off the new album then the cloned day of the robot can you tell us a little bit about the song and it's Robotic Village Part 2. It's a song that me and Mike put together. Uh, and I don't know. We just got one day, Mike's doing me this little intro thing. I say, that kind of reminds me of Old Priest, Victim of Changes or something. You know, it would go good with a uh, mid-paced kind of silent-y creature-ish thing. And we got it together. And then somewhere in the middle, we put in some, what we call Robot Thrash. And we, we made that weird little section in the middle, and they went from there. Uh, good song, getting a lot of good support. People uh, seem to be digging that song a lot on the new record, with the people that have picked up the new record. And uh, I'm proud as hell of it. It's, it's, a, it's a tale about uh, these people that are kids and put into a factory and trying to be cloned by these people that have no idea what they're doing, which is pretty much what the world is nowadays, just a bunch of people not knowing what they're doing. So <laughs> that's kind of where we stand with uh, with our uh, our politics, sci-fi side of things. It goes no further than there. <laughs>
Mwah! Kiss that fucking ass. Yeah. You know, a lot of songs have a message, and some just say, fuck it, we're just gonna rock out and say, kiss my ass, much like uh, Dealer just said. And one of those things, while I was watching an interview with Brian Johnson of ACDC, it was with Howard Stern, actually, and he was just like, you guys just don't give a fuck, and you guys just rock. There's no message, you just go up there and you just crank out the tunes. I think it's pretty cool that some bands have a message, and other bands don't have a message. I kind of sort of side with the bands that don't have a message. It depends on the message. You know, maybe ACDC rocking out and just doing what they do, maybe that is their message. It's like, fuck it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a subliminal message, but here we go again. Fucking Midnight. Does he have a message? Probably not. Maybe there is a message. And if somebody does, the message that drives me crazy is in between the songs live, say, if they start going, don't have guns, don't have abortions, or, you know, if they said everybody should have abortions, all right, I'd be on. But depends on the message, I think. Yeah, well, in a way, like, having a message kind of ruins it for me because it's just like, you know, I don't fully side with everyone. And, and I, I'm a lyricist of myself, you know, I, I write you stuff. Are? and Yeah, exactly. And most of the time, stuff... <laughs> Stuff that has really a message to it is kind of catchy, you know. You know, may not. It's like an after-school special. Yeah, and for me, I kind of side with no message, and I kind of like it. And some may not like it because it's not catchy. That's kind of what, like, for me personally, like, if I were to write, okay, so I don't think there's any mystery that, you know, we're, we, you and I both are in the band Crucify Mortals, and, you know, I write all Ooh. the lyrics for it, and a lot of the songs are very horror-oriented, and I didn't really kind of realize it until I did an interview with, um, what the fuck was that bigger magazine that you bought it for me? Oh, then? It the uh, Thrash? Zero Tolerance, was it? thought it might have even been as big as Revolver. Decibel. Decibel, that's the one. Decibel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, the dude called me up. I was just loading that guy down with information. <laughs> you babble? No. I was totally a babbler. But it came to a realization then to me that I'm attracted to no message. And personally, I won't write something that's catchy. And it's kind of funny because Jim Sadist of Nunslaughter said to me at one point, he's like, hey, you know, maybe you should hire someone to write lyrics for you. And in the back of my mind, I was like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I know that's kind of what I think. I, but I, then, I like uh, your lyrics. But then he's like, or is that what you're going for? I was just like, what do you mean? He said, well, they're not rhythmic. Yes. They don't They don't rhyme. They're not catchy. But maybe you don't want them to be that way. And I was just like, maybe you should approach that question that way. <laughs> right. Before I was ready to fucking punch you in the face. But I don't, I don't give a shit. A lot of people could be that way. Well, why do these guys not write catchy lyrics? And I think it adds to the atmosphere. Like for a Crucify Mortals tune, not to go down a path that maybe no one gives a flying fuck about. But I think... I don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that it adds a darker atmosphere because... To me, catchiness is almost, I'm in a bright, sunny day. You know, you're just kind of like, hey, let's sing along. To where, for me, I like to write a lyrical content that is more so narrative. Tells a story. Tells a story. It's like rather than. Yeah, and rather than being like a poem where it's beat for beat for beat, 
rhythmic. I went to the store. I, I got myself store. a whore. Then I came home and fucked her against the door. And it's you know it's syllable after syllable. It's a poem. It's a poem, and it goes along with the beat of the music. I like to throw it off. Like you know what? Like two verses go along with each other, and then all of a sudden it's just like the next line is just a fucking run on. And I think that adds to the narrative of this song. Well, it, not the fucking coming up people. later. I think in the show where I think we're playing Dream Death, they do that too. Where the it's not a the music's not going to don to don to don. The lyrics going to don to don to don with it, and they're telling a story. Is there a message in there? Probably not. But can you get something out of it? I don't know. But the thing I think uh, uh, with messages, if you're getting preachy. Yeah. Are you purposely sending a message? Probably not. But is somebody relating to it? As a kid, I remember I, I told this story earlier today. My parents are always like, why are you listening to this? You know, th- this is back in the 80s, folks. So like Iron Maiden was very extreme. Slayer it was very extreme. Dark Angel and stuff. And 60 Minutes or one of those shows had a, had a show on, we got on a metal. Problem. Exactly. So uh, Slayer had a song, Piece by Piece, and they, they actually played the lyrics across. I've never as, heard as, that as song. I haven't heard it either, and it's on Rain and Blood, which we trash. But I thought it was awesome. No, we didn't. <laughs> we trashed the people that, the fact that, oh, I know Rain and Blood, but what else do you know? That's what we... Anyway, as a kid, when I was listening to that sort of stuff, and there was times where I was so angry at just the, the people at, at my school or my parents and my family, because I was kind of the black sheep, and I was just like, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to go rip somebody's throat out. And then I'd put in, say, that song, and I would go, ah, somebody else feels the same way I do. They want to fucking rip somebody. There's no way to exit except piece by piece. And it was something to relate to. There was no message, but there was a relation, a mental like, ah, somebody else is talking about killing people. In- we got a problem. Exactly. <laughs> do you, do you know, I don't know if you see that, if, if that's coming through out there, listeners. If it's not, fuck off. When I was talking to that dude from Decibel, I was just blabbing. But then it came to realization. It's like, honestly, I don't think all this stuff is a story. But it's left under interpretation. Very, very loosely. Anything on a is by morals end, at oh, least. for sure. It, it's all up to the interpreter. Now, masked murder is very, I think, cut and dry. But some, some of the other stuff of, yeah. prior to... Well, um, and that's e- the thing, too. It became a very apparent to me when I was talking. Is this like, you know, a song uh, sort of treachery, and not to, like, go off and toot my own fucking horn, but, you know, someone's got to toot. When I showed up here earlier today, he was tooting his own horn. I had to, like, knock on the door and be like, dude, can you stop? No, no, no. (laughs) Someone's got to toot the horn because no one else is going to fucking do it for me. But talking about that and to have a personal relation to it, like, if if I write, like, lyrics and stuff and anyone that's familiar with it, and if you're not familiar, I guess you got to go fucking buy the first album. The first song on there, Sorted Treachery, and it's a horror tale of sorts, but it came to fruition in my mind. I was it's like actually like it's not just a tale it is a message of sorts because the tale What's itself the message? well the tale itself tells about a freaking priest he has daughters that later and he's a high up priest that's you know everyone follows and stuff and he doesn't even know about these fucking kids and all of a sudden one day they show up on his doorstep and they're like wanting to rekindle with their father and he's like I can't and he's gonna abolish them from right. his life and that was a way of 
expressing the hypocrisy that I find religion to be. But you would never fucking guess that. And that is my, and I think that's There actually cool are people that guess, because before I joined the band, before I really, well, when that album came out, you and I were, were already friends. I got it. We're not friends now, though. No, not at all. <laughs> I didn't perceive it as a message. When I hear the word message, I picture the douchebaggy, like, uh, holier-than-thou types with a, right. with a message, quotes around that. I'm doing the annoying quotes thing. Um, when you talk about catchy and happy-go-lucky sing-along, here's maybe a dead horse, but I look at Ghost's first record. The second one's out soon, fingers crossed. But th- it's very catchy, and it's very dark lyrically. Um, of course, the costumes, the, the music, even the guitar tone's a very dark tone. And maybe there's a message where it's like, hey, think outside the box, people. Here's this... It's going exactly the opposite what the preachy people do. Or maybe they're just like, this is some fucking fun shit. Let's have fun, because I laugh at some of that shit. Maybe deep down, if the interpreter, the listener can go, yeah, you know, what I get out of this is it's like, oh, pray, pray. You know, I've got a broken leg. Pray it heals quickly. I've got cancer. Pray it heals quickly. Or maybe, is that really going to help? You know, you can just keep peeling layers and layers and layers off this stuff. It's like, well, you know, you got a broken leg, rehab it. Or you're fat, don't eat fucking Happy Meals or whatever the fuck. Do you, do you know what I mean? Well, it's like a mockery to it as well. It, exactly. That's that's it. It's a mockery because when I was dragged to church as a kid, you know, the priest is up there. You're not supposed to judge. And then everybody there is judging me because I got a black t-shirt that says whatever the fuck on it. One of the funniest thing is, now I was a kid. I was ignorant. I called my sister gay to the priest. And as an adult, Nothing wrong with that. Whatever. But, you know, when you're eight years old, that's your insult. And I remember my mom said, I don't think you should call your sister gay in front of the priest. And I'm like, ah, because that's not good to call my sister names. She well, goes, the priest no. was probably gay. So why that's not? what she said. That's exactly. She goes, I think Father Ed is a little gay. And I went, Father Ed. That, oh, that's, that's you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was just like, holy shit. You know, and I'm, you know, eight, nine years old, however old I was. And I was like, holy shit. And it wasn't like, a, ooh, he's gay. Yuck. It was was just like, dude, I thought they were totally against no, that. No, no, you were like, hypocrisy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go be an altar boy. Right, right. <laughs> and get the special Eucharist. But I, I... <laughs> He's going to give you the body and the blood of He's Christ. He's going to give you the body, the soul, and the salty Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it from this hose, Eddie. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's my story and how there's indirectly, I guess, a message, a may- maybe an attraction why to write a lyrical theme that way. In the back I guess there's somewhat of a message, personally, and maybe there's a lot of bands that there are, but indirectly, as the outsider, you know, poetry is up for interpretation, that's what lyrics essentially are. I think it's more attractive to me when there isn't a message, because when there is directly a message, it's just kind of lame, because if you don't agree with it, you're just like... I don't like these guys Ugh. anymore. Like, how many bands have we talked about that all of a sudden they're like, yeah, pro, let's go and fight the bad guys. You right. Know, and it's like, all right, you know what? The whole nationalism, patriotism thing, it's like, all right, I get it to some degree, but it's like... Really? I want to listen to my music to escape the whole, we're going to... I agree, yeah, you know I, what I agree. Mean? Totally. You know, and I don't want to sound like anti-American or anything, because I'm, I'm not, but at the same time, it's like, you know, oh, folks, you are. wake up and fucking smell the coffee, there's... 
or the beer, or, or the beer, or that Eddie fart, or or the vodka. I don't I don't know. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? It's like it's it's a turnoff when somebody gets when they're sending the wrong message to anybody out there who's going to vote for so and so. Oh, you fuck are that, no, and yeah, and fuck like, that mess. Oh, wow. when it becomes political, dude, oh, dude, just fuck political it. religious. You're, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or religious, some of whatever sorts, whether it be pro Christ or an anti. Then again, though, there's a there's an, uh, a yang to a yang. And it's cool sometimes when it is pro a message. To a wang. <laughs> or a wang. Anyway, there's a there's a pull to a wang, but no, there's but it, you know it's sometimes it's good when there's a message too, is because you can relate to it and it helps cope with reality that there's like, well, hey, there's someone that perceives it this way and not so much musically related, but even the show like we'll have people write. I've had, had numerous people write. It's like you know it's cool because. There's no one in this area, so it's so like I, that I can to talk your, to about this, right? Stuff. And listening to your show, I, I, I'm like one right there with you in that conversation. It's like that's fucking cool, man. Which, by you the know? way, while we're talking about that, there's there's been a few guys you chuck then chicks. Come on, we don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Hector. Getting those messages from you, oh, Hector. That, 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 that is really that. Yeah, he likes you anyway. That, that that stuff's like really cool. We appreciate that, but I don't have a message on this show. I don't because I oh, come on anyone. One has a message on this show. Come on, we're, we're just it rip is, on man. shit and talk about metal. Come on, there's a fucking me- the message is we're a bunch of dorks. Exactly. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Exactly. And, and the message is ah, who gives a fuck? I yeah. guess that's and, and that's the thing. That's that's what I was getting at. So maybe I mentioned midnight before. Maybe Jamie doesn't set out and go. Who? Wait, what? Who? Maybe Athenar <laughs> doesn't set out. Sorry, Athenar, and, and go. Hey, lust, filth, and sleaze. Yeah, actually, what was funny was is he told me that he said somebody said to him lust filth and sleaze was actually a song about monogamy and this and i'm like that was mentioned in hellcast episode 13 it was and it it was actually very awesome like dude i never got that i heard that song and just laughed my ass off the only yeah there's not always a message and stuff and that's why sometimes it's cool because you don't know but when there's directly a message it's sometimes it's really cool because maybe you're really in tune with that message but at other times you're just kind of like oh Especially politics, dude. That just it's, kills it. Like, it does. It I does. don't give a fuck. Like, if I really gave a shit about politics, I'll just turn on the goddamn TV. It's like, ah, dude, I don't want to hear about your preaching. And furthermore, once that record's five years old, it's going to be obsolete. No one's going to be relating to it. Then it's, exactly. If it had a message once, now it's not going to have gone. a message. Like, looking at a fucking punk band from the 80s. No kids relating to that nowadays. They don't even know who Reagan is. He's dead. And it's unfortunate, but you, you know you're right. Talking about messages, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about a main mainstreamish kind of album that a lot of people don't. This band started out. Uh, and they don't like this record, but like when I was a kid, and you know, I was in middle school. Judas Priest Turbo came out. They had that song out in the cold. And if the girl I wanted to dance with at the middle school dance didn't want to dance with me, I would go home and listen to that record. I related to it, but there's no message there. It's just a metal song. Well, the message here is that anyone that really likes old school Motorhead, this is for you. This is some party stuff. This is intoxicated. It's going to be released by Hell's Headbanger soon on CDNLP coming in April. So here's Intoxicated.
You know, a very rarity in things is a woman frontman, and the good people at Metal Injection have covered the women in metal throughout the ages. Ironically, and you know, it's called Metal Injection. You know, I, I, I gotta tell you, you know what they're injecting? They're injecting anything but metal. I don't know if you've ever gone to a metalinjection.com, but you know, we do a lot of ripping on and on a show, and I gotta tell you, we've done a lot of on bands. Well, we need to do one on a webzine magazine. Metal Injection did one on the record, as they call women in metal, and I thought it was interesting. Yeah, you know, let's talk about some women in metal. But I couldn't get past the fact after I watched this video to be like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So we're going to take a look at how they could lead us off with this great subject of women in metal. And you, and the think- listener, are going to just take a listen. We have a kind of coil. Fly leaf. Kylesa. Crisis in this moment. Kitty. Sigh. Walls of Jericho. The Agonist. I wrestled a bear once. Evanescence. How? I don't know. Is there a revolver around here? Hailstorm. Nuclear death. All that remains. Habeas Ferranti. Salome. Epica. Cretan. Drain STH. The Gathering. Landmine Marathon. Made out of babies. Bloody Panda. Arch Enemy. In this moment. Otep. Nightwish. God the Throne. Straightline Stitch. Ludicrous. Bleeding through. Luna Mortis. Metalcore bands with female keyboard players. Winds of play. They just have like a pool of like hot chick keyboard players and they're like, you. Abigail Williams. Within Temptation. Kitty. Agoraphobic Nosebleed. Theater Tragedy. Kelly Osborne. Um, you said women. <laughs> now that was funny. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that's really fucking funny. But I gotta ask again. I thought that Metal Injection was covering women in Metal. metal. Because I didn't hear a metal fucking band. <laughs> I mean, because, of course, when I think women in metal and, like, iconic women in metal, I, I, I immediately think of Arch Enemy, Lacuna Coil, I wrestled a bear once, and all these new bands. Like, a band, obviously... I don't think of Warlock, ever. No, no. Because, like, a band that started, obviously, in the late 70s and probably is the most iconic of women in metal, girls' school, that never comes to mind. Never. Or, I mean, or Detente, Sentinel Beast, Holy Moses, Durkata, Snow White, Mythic, or Demonical Christ. They don't fuck Demonic Christ. They never come to mind. Dur- who? What? who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think Lacuna Coil. Because you know what? Nothing says heavy but Lacuna Coil. And I got to tell you, folks... This is your fucking metal scene. These are your metal publicists. That's what they're telling you what metal is. That's what they're telling you metal is. Every one of these people here, they look like a a fucking douchebag. Century Media has signed maybe, you know, 50% of the female fronted metal bands out there. I mean, I even did a calendar featuring 12 of the women who front metal bands. And obviously that... Oh, really? You did? Oh, let me comment on your calendar. Your fucking calendar looked like a bunch of bitches that thought they were into metal that didn't look like they were into metal. You know what I have to say to your label? <laughs> I Trenders can't respond to Metal Hammer and Revolver doing the same thing. Metal isn't the boys club that it used to be. Going to shows in the metal early is- 90s. Why the fuck are you talking about women in metal like it's the fucking 1960s women's civil rights movement? It's fucking metal. What is it, 2013? (laughs) Let's get over it, fellas. You named no band that was like pioneering some chick in metal. And furthermore, even if we're going to bring up the metal bands that were female front, and I'm sure many people could put other metal bands that weren't, let's bring up Crisis because they were really fucking metal or... 
Well, there was Vixen. But anyway, oh yeah, yeah, Vixen. Anyway, let's bring up the most obvious ones, but let's refer to it as it's as if it's like this groundbreaking thing. No, 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 dude. We're in the United States of America, and we're talking about women in metal like it's fucking Saudi Arabia. Now, I would be impressed by that. I I would go like they're the first Iraqi all-female band. Now, that's something they're probably gonna get killed doing or something. It's like no, 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 dude. It's fucking nineteen. 79, 80s, blah, 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 blah. That's what I'm talking about. You're not even talking about that. You're talking about 2013. Motherfucker, everyone's equal in this thing. What the? This isn't even a valid segment. You know what? I just want to... <laughs> dude, I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. What were you saying? I don't remember. Yes, exactly. So women in metal. As we continue, metal injections cover on the record. On the record. Your metal injection thing should be metal injection. On the download, women in fucking trend. <laughs> but it's it, and that's the thing. It's not. It, that's not like most of those bands. There might have been a couple, maybe that. It, it's it's all just yeah. You didn't see a lot of women. You know, you just saw a lot of like young white dudes. Now, when I go to a show or a festival, it's definitely a different cross section of people. Who I mean, they're all still metal fans, but it's just like. You know, there's different ages, there's different genders, there's different races. Just the fact that, like, there are girls' t-shirts from, like, Cannibal Corpse just tells you, like, how things have changed over the last ten years, and, you know, it's fucking awesome. I'm sorry, but I can't take any video that is clearly playing Lacuna Coil in the background and then resorts to crisis seriously. I mean, these these folks do not know about metal. How the fuck are you into metal, but don't mention, don't even mention any of the bands that I'm into. I mean, I think the biggest fucking band that I mentioned is Holy Moses, and they put out two fucking legitimate records, in my opinion, and they're they're still putting out records, and I I don't like them, but people might like them, maybe the, the Germans might, but still... I mean, it's a notable ban, and you don't even fucking mention them. No, I wrestled a bear once. I never even that's fucking even, heard of that ban. Who? It's our boy. Yeah, exactly. I wrestled, it's our, that's it's our, Mikey, Monkey. Yeah, it's Mikey. It's Monkey fucking Mikey. Karen Crisis. She was the, the smallest, littlest girl with the longest dreads and the most evil voice before. That's Gary- almost condescending there. She was the smallest, littlest girl with the biggest dreads. Who fucking cares? Dude, hey, furthermore, the- Gary Solace, I don't know who, what the fuck you do other than sit in a video, buy a stupid bed lamp, ball head. and make redundant remarks. But yeah, the, the cutest, smallest girl with the biggest dreadlocks. And then she Dude, just everything, screams. Everything he just said violates every metal rule. <laughs> I mean, the cutest, smallest girl with dreadlocks. What is metal about that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Exactly. You know what would be great? Get him to stand up, pull his chair out from him, and then he sits back down and falls on the floor. <laughs> I would love that. Remember when you do that as a kid? I love that shit. I want to do that guy and paralyze him. I love it. Paralyze You him. girls can growl like that. and I- Dude, anyway. you know what? If you're a girl and want to growl, get in a relationship with me, and then... I'll piss you off and you'll growl. No, you know what? Actually, <laughs> no, Zach was on Zach was on the show from Necrofilth, and ever since he he brought up a really great 
point, and I have to give him credit for it because I've agreed ever since. He's like, I don't understand the supposed female-fronted bands that go up there and they try to growl and sound like a dude or anything that's just cliche metal. It sounds like a woman. It devalues the fact that it's a fucking woman. At this, you know, at, yeah. At that point, it just becomes you're just you're just, you're just another, another yeah. You're, you're just, another singer, which is cool. You're and just, just that's another what you guy. That, do, you're just another awesome, person that growls. But, right. So what the hell does it matter? So why the hell are you promoting the fact that it's a female singer? Gee, okay. I wonder why. Because you're looking for everyone's dicks to get their fucking attention. I think she has influenced so many more bands, and I don't think. It's- Who the Boy, fuck is did Crisis influence? Exactly. I don't even. <laughs> I didn't even know they were still around. Exactly. <laughs> It's the credit for you, that. you know what these guys are trying to like get laid Kitty, is what's going that. on crisis influence kitty yeah there was such a fucking who is kitty you don't know who kitty is oh my god dude they're, they're all they're the first all-female metal band uh, vixen wasn't in the 80s or girls or Derkata. no exactly dude, by the way dude, why are we bring that up jackass dude i was at a Derkata show here in cleveland and some douche fucking bag starts rubbing fucking sharon's leg dude don't do that because there's a girl on stage you can't just go start rubbing her fucking that's leg. what i'm talking about that's what this segment's covering dude it's just a bunch of fucking horny nerds that don't even listen to metal that they think they, they listen just to think metal, they want to fucking they think that they know i'm gonna the get her i'm gonna get her man because they I'm think hot they know what the fuck they're hot. talking about. And now, granted, Sharon does do the growling, but I'm not I, it saying works well that, but she knows metal. That's she a does fucking metal, metal band. Durkater, you're talking they, about. Exactly. The, the front, they the front are woman, fucking metal. Yeah. yeah, that's a metal band. I and, mentioned that, but these jackasses don't even fucking mention it. Instead, they mention, I wrestled the, the, the bear once with the, our boy Mikey, who, I'm sorry, Mikey, but no hard feelings. You bring in bands like Kitty, that. I don't think would have existed without Crisis. First off, this douchebag's leaning in his recliner. I just want to push him over. I kind of was thinking that too. I kind of wanted I'm to like, pull I'm his just feet looking up. And, this is like, you know, and drop that frame. Wait, behind. hold on a second, Eddie. She's just the smallest, littlest girl with the biggest dreadlocks that just can really growl. And you know, I just have to say, without her. Such notable goddessly bands like Kitty wouldn't exist without her. Shucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Push. Ow. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what I I think's going on there with this? Is I'm not convinced that this guy's like going. I'm, I'm going to talk about this chick like really good and serious, and she's going to hear it. So I'm, I'm going to talk about this chick like she's just a goddess and a so awesome, and she's going to see this and she's going to want to suck my dick. I, it, I almost think that's what's going on. These guys instead of kissing ass, they're like you know flicking a clit. Yeah, I'm just going to pause the show right. Right here and right now. If you <laughs> quiet, I'm turning off your mic. Fans of Hellcast, if you like Crisis, you have to, have to write me at Hellcast at hellsheadbangers.com and say, I like Crisis. And after you've done that, you need to write me why. Eddie's mic is back on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how anyone like that. Man. Uh, it's it's it, horrible. It's like corn to 
Oh, yeah. Chick singer. With dreadlocks. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The ironic thing is somebody might look at me and think the same thing. That dude with his fucked up sideburns and his fucked up hair. Uh, And then you start speaking and you maybe know about metal. Oh. And then they they (laughs) kind of stop talking. he talks about it. I mean, what are you talking about? Metal Injection, Eddie, they know about Oh, I forgot. That's why it's called Metal Injection. I feel like I'm my best as a person. Here's Karen Crisis. Communicating with people, being being as selfless as possible, just giving me everything. The whole five people there. And in turn, I try to let that help me be a better person in my daily life, which I'm still working on. Was that a message? (laughs) Most of the girls that are fronting metal bands are very smart about it. So, okay. As the video progresses, why don't we get Jose Mangan, the serious XM and Headbangers Ball host, to comment. And I'm sorry, anyone, but even the gay people that likes this show is going, this guy's a fucking fag. <laughs> He's going, so I just got a comment. That just Karen Crisis is just the best singer ever. Just all this. <laughs> She's like, get that fuck. Metal injection. Do you think that's really his office back there Hold with all those posters? I bet it is. <laughs> Look at his fucking posters. Deftones? Shine Down? I, I can't see it from Pantera? Back Amen? Dude, Def- dude, I mean, Dust? Reaper, Reaper Seven Dust and, and Deftones and Shine Down. Those guys are heavy. Hold on a second. That, Hold that, on. Is, that is 95.6. I- rock heavy you gotta know that it's metal for right. the masses right thank you Eddie. <laughs> and they know what they're doing and good for them i, I want you know I'm dj's on the radio dj's no, on the radio metal actually i bet gay dudes are glad this guy probably he's probably not he which gives, is cool. he gives gay people a bad name he's a douche the, what the problem was that this thing the modern world is going this guy's gay and then that that's what they interpret gay people as right when the, no 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 the, the gay there's there's some fucking legitimate metal fans that are gay but yet this jackass is the person that is the notable fucking representation of gay for metal i, I for one am offended and i'm not even gay <laughs> <laughs> i mean i, I uh, i'm offended for the gay people Fuck this guy! The best metal bands are Kitty, Deftones, and Shine Down. But you, you also know, so forgot Alice in Chains. They're metal. Yes, the guy's okay. dead. Why don't you just look at my really shitty mohawk hair and look at my office? Oh, oh turn look, it up. We need to hear what the guy from God forbid has to say. When they're at the shows, and you know, and I'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a feminist, so. <laughs> They're trying to get laid is all it is, dude. Well, the fact that they're actually pointing it out, like when I go see Durkada, you know, I don't go, dude, I'm going to this all girl metal band, Durkada, even though it doesn't even phase you. No, it's just like, I'm going to go see Durkada. Who gives a shit? Exactly. They fucking can play and it's fucking awesome. Hey, Kevin's in town wants to go see Doro and I didn't go, but great. Kevin from Grave Woman that was on the show already. Oh, right, right, right. That's fucking, you don't even think like you're going to see a band. If a girl sings, great. If a guy sings, great. If a fucking hermaphrodite sings, who gives a flying fuck? If it's a good band, it's a good band, right? Eddie, I can't believe you stopped me from hearing what Dan Rodriguez from Metal Insider (laughs) and Brad Titelman has to say from this syndicate. I have to know what they have to fucking say about women in metal and seriously and not just as a gimmick is great the band accept it is you know, they, they, they one song balls to the wall all of 
or lyrics were written by their manager who was a female and it's funny because there was a lot of at the time that people were oh, like oh hey, i'm sorry a little hmm, you know what are you guys doing and and it was a it was because you could tell when you read it it was written from a different perspective and i think that's something that that is, is necessary. I think it's you great. Could it, tell? it goes back to bringing in other musical influences. You know, the different perspectives help bring in different forms of music and different emotions and help expand the genre. Can I stab you? I think it's good because they're no longer a, a sex symbol. Who the fuck are these people? John Bambino, heavy hitter, and Alicia Tarule, Indigoot Entertainment. I've never even heard of it. Let's I skip. Don't that. <laughs> I don't even never heard of these people. Let's look at this jackass with another. Dude, all these jackasses have freaking sports hats. Wow, they're really in the metal. But he has a 20 buck spin hat, so maybe he knows what's going on. About, like, you know, being a strong woman. Like, if anybody of the past decade has, it's probably Angela Gossow. Angela arch enemy yeah she really knows you know what i have a story about arch enemy you go and see arch enemy live before they get a chick singer no one's there all of a sudden year later they get a chick singer packed huh i think everyone's thinking with their dicks that's what i was saying before the guy they think they're gonna be that guy you know what i mean yeah, let's face it. They don't entirely suck. I can see why someone would kind of like them, but why you wouldn't need no chick singer to sing the kind of vocal style that they need. That's, it, it, that's it's the, the exact opposite of what they're saying. They are exploiting almost to get the draw. They're like, let's get a chick that can sing right. like that. And, that, and, and that'll what, get the people And here. these jackasses here, none of these people have any business commenting on metal. I'm sorry. They're thinking what they're dicks. Dude, that band was nothing without that chick singer. <laughs> We're not even halfway through. Is a, f- a phenomenal singer and a front woman. You know, I think that's that's no, she's my favorite not. Do she sucks? Of all of them, because I feel like how is that woman a phenomenal singer? <laughs> how is that phenomenal? It's just like everyone else. Anyway, uh, you know, it, it just feels real and it feels passionate. And from a technical standpoint, she's a great with the great angel wings there and really the guitar is, is so sterile. Do you, do you not hear that? Nah, it's There's bad. women that rock a lot harder than us. <laughs> that's yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I work for Branch Marketing Collective and Roadrunner Records. So yeah, it's really easy. Dude, for Dude, anybody to rock that a lot works for something marketing. They should probably go suck a tailpipe. I'm just saying. Any chicks, dude. Rock marketing. Harder. So in other words, he's gonna he's he's marketing the chick, and he's if he's doing it because she's a chick, not because she's a good singer. Regardless, that's exploitatory. As uh, musicians and you know as, as drinkers, there's some girls that end up in that pit. That you know, I'm old now. I'm looking from a distance, but they fucking kick ass, and I I don't think I've ever seen it like that the way it is now i mean a lot of these females are role models for for these young girls you see it every day i mean you're writing letters to maria you know and um why does he say like yeah there's the, the writing letters to maria who the fuck's maria i i don't know exactly who, who is like oh, why do you say her on a first name basis like everyone's supposed to know who that is I don't know who that is. Well, I do that. I'm into metal. I don't know who the fuck... Do you know who Maria is? No, but I... Well, you know, Kevin. You oh, know, but, Well, because well, people listen to this show, but... Oh! Who the fuck's yeah. Maria? O-tap. There's no Maria. I, dude, I don't is know that, if I've ever is even that who heard Maria is? She's an OTEP. Why would I like that? Right. You know, with all men. Don't ask me why. I was at an OTEP show, and there were these girls in the why? front. Why were you at an OTEP show? You fucking jackass. That's why. Who were fucking going nuts man i'm like honestly i think some of that devotion came out of having a, for lack of a less cheesy term a strong Why did he just twitch his head? metal i don't think you would have seen that 
we got Vince Dielstein and Axel Rosenberg from, from Metal, Metal Sucks. I'm going to conclude. If you want to watch the rest of this video, type in Metal Injection on the record, Women in Metal. I'm going to stop it right there because I'm already about to vomit. Thank you. Because thinking with their dicks, because their dicks haven't been on a woman since a woman had them. So, opinion Oh, you mean since anything. they popped out of the womb? Is that what? The, yeah, that? Exactly. <laughs> they haven't had porn. They even had to pay for it. Because that's all they're thinking about. See, when I listen to a band with a woman singer, I want to appreciate... For the woman singer, you know, I want to fucking hear a woman singer. I don't give a fuck. Or I just want to hear the music. I I could give a fuck or that. But I'm not saying that. Don't let them do it. But I'm saying most people are thinking with their dick because they don't get anything. I agree. People that just appreciate metal music look at it at this perspective. If it's a woman singer, I don't give a flying fuck. I want to hear a woman singer. What does the woman singer have to bring to the table? I want to hear what the woman... I want to hear a female You want to hear the higher end yeah. vocals. I like that. That's, it switches it up. I don't want her to do a monster voice. We can hear that a zillion times. And, and I, I, I've got to say, if Durkata comes to mind, because we brought them up before... There's the growling vocals. I enjoy it. I love the hell out of them. The bands they were talking about on there were those poppy kind of let's market this because she's a woman, not because yeah. it's good music. It's That's what drives me up the wall. Yeah. Durkada growls. Warlock didn't. Anything in between, as long as it's got some soul to it, I like it. I don't give a fuck. Growl or don't growl. Sing like a like. You know, quotes around that, like with a womanly or non-growling voice, because I, I don't want to sound like a fucking meathead here and going, no, oh, non-woman. If it's saying. what you want to do and you do it well, that's cool. But don't, you know, be like, well, we're a metal band with a chick singer. It's like just, hey, we're a metal band. Be proud. Of, if you're a woman and you're in a band, be proud of it. But the marketing of it, the, that to me is the exploitation. Right, right. Exactly. I'm not saying that it's like women singers don't try to like, growl and shit and stuff. That's my personal opinion. And fuck my personal opinion if you don't agree with it. But do, do you get my point that it's like when they say, well, she's the littlest. Da, 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 da. It's like yeah. that, that would be like going, well, John Connolly was a short little guy and he's saying Fuck. Exactly. The guy fucking sang his ass off. Who cares? He so he was yeah, short. Who, who and Dan Lilliker was tall as fuck. Who cares? Yeah, who gives a fuck about height? Who gives a fuck about sex? I mean, if you're in it, yeah, it's the quality of the music. That's what it is. And that's why I brought up that goddamn video. Because those are a bunch of jackasses. Like you said, they're just exploiting so the we. fact that it's like, uh, we're, <laughs> <I> people, <know. laughs> we're people that are examining this shit and going, this is fucking annoying. We're, we're the voice of the people that are speaking this shit. I'm, I'm a metal fan. I'm Easy. Reaper. This has been Hellcast. Email it, me at hellcast at hellsheadbangers.com. I want dirt. I want good stuff. I want anything you want want to send me i am eddie and it's eddie satan e-d-d-i-e satan at hellsheadbangers.com if you want to email me we'll talk to you next time
Incisions form at the base of my spine 